It's one verse. We, we stand just to honor God and his word. We don't do a ton reverent around here, so this is just one little thing we can do to um, just communicate our commitment to God and his word. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. As we read, remember we're reading God's word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's God's word. You can be seated. Charlie Jolly was a leader in our church. Uh, he was um, a community group leader. He was an elder. And the way our church works, in case you're new here, is we've got pastors and elders. Those words are generally used synonymously. And this is a team of men that help oversee and lead and, and take care of the church. And Charlie was one of those men. He was a leader. And this verse tells us, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, many of you didn't hear Charlie preach. I don't think he's ever preached here, though he's been on stage and communicated different things. But perhaps you experienced his ministry in a one-on-one -on -one situation or in a smaller group. Charlie was a man who helped communicate. He spoke the word of God. And, and what this verse tells us to do when we think about our leaders is to consider the outcome of, the way, of their way of life. The word consider means to think on, it means to dwell on, it means to take to heart. Consider the outcome of their way of life. You know, everybody has a way of life. Everybody's on a way of life. Everybody's on a path. Everybody's headed somewhere. And the reality is that it's, it's the direction we're headed that's where we're headed. Does that make sense? I, I know it's, that, that's a little too simple maybe for us, but Andy Stanley has said it this way. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. So where you're going is where you're going, even if you'd like to be going somewhere else, right? If you get on, if you get on the 10 and you head south, you're going to go to Tucson. Even if you wanted to go to L.A., you're, you're headed there, right? And, and this is saying everyone's on a path. Everyone's on a direction. Everybody's living their life headed somewhere, and so are leaders. And so when we think about our leaders, we should consider where's their life headed. And then it says, and imitate their faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to apply this verse in a sermon. And I want to apply it specifically to Charlie. And so what today's going to be is, is a message, what I learned from Charlie Jolly. We're going to take uh, the next few moments and we're going to consider the outcome of Charlie's life. We're going to dwell on him and who he was and how he lived and, and specifically for me, what, what I learned um, from him. Now, I, I understand that this is difficult for lots of reasons. Um, for me personally, I, I tend to have a hard time expressing the emotions I feel uh, when, they're, when they're like this. And, and oftentimes it's music and preaching that bring those out of me. Um, and I don't know if that'll happen in this service, but if that happens, that could be potentially difficult. Obviously, for you guys, this, I, don't, I have no idea what this will feel like for you. I hope it's an encouragement and a blessing, but I also can imagine it would be hard. Some of you knew Charlie very well, and, and, and then others of you didn't know him at all. 
those of you, this is your very first time here, and you're like, what did I come to today? And, uh, and hopefully what you're just going to see is just an example of how we love and care for those who are part of our church family. And, uh, and so hopefully you get a glimpse of that. But, but what I want to do is just share what I've learned from Charlie. D- to give you just a little bit of a sense, for those of you maybe that don't know Charlie, I, I have a couple pictures here to share of Charlie. This is Charlie on our very first preview service. October 26, 2008, and he was our scripture reader, reading from John chapter 17 uh, that morning. He also was a greeter. That's kind of the next picture. Maybe you saw him a number of times uh, greeting. He, he and Bonnie are friendly, and they love people, and he's, uh, Charlie just finds people very interesting, and so that was a, a common thing. Um, the next picture, that took place just kind of right over here, right about where the horns are sitting uh, in, in this building when it was just a shell. We had a prayer time and a worship time when we were praying about how God would use this building. And, and so Bonnie and Charlie, you can see they were smart. They brought chairs. And they were, I think they were the only people that had chairs. Everyone else was wishing they'd had chairs. But they thought ahead, and they had chairs, and there they are praying. And then another picture of, of Charlie and Bonnie together. I love, uh, love this picture and love uh, these friends. So what I learned from Charlie Jolly. Some of it will be funny and fun, and others will be serious. Um, I want to apply this verse, and and hopefully wherever you're at today, there's something here, there's some wisdom as we consider a godly man in his life, something that you can glean from it. So I've got 12 things here. So Hopefully we'll get to all of them. We did last time. We'll, We'll see. Here's the first thing I learned is life is better when you have a great nickname. Life is better when you have a great nickname. Charlie had the best nickname. Uh, those of you who knew him well, you would occasionally call him by this, this nickname, Chuck Steele. That was his nickname. And uh, if you, uh, oh, I meant, I meant to mention this. I didn't mention this earlier. Um, the service for Charlie is going to be this Tuesday um, at 1 o'clock, and it's going to be at the Redemption Gilbert campus. That will probably accommodate some people traveling and some things a little bit better and and so this Tuesday, 1 o'clock, anyone is welcome to come. We would love to have you come and to celebrate. Uh, with that, you'll get to hear um, from family members and friends. And you'll get, you'll get a, what, what I'm doing today is just giving you one slice. I mean, I knew Charlie for a handful of years, five, six years. And, and you'll hear from people that knew him over all kinds of years and in a lot of different situations. So I, I hope you'll come. But if you do, you'll, you'll know if people are California friends or Arizona friends by what they call him. If it's a California friend, they'll call him Chuck, because that's what he was kind of known as there. And, and out here, we knew him as Charlie. And, and the, the nickname Chuck Steele uh, comes from a time when he, w- he, when he was working. There was a, a gal in his office whose last name was Steele. And she ordered Charlie a sandwich and, at this deli, but he had to go pick it up. And so Charlie got there, and, and, set, and they said, well, what's, what's it under? And he said, Steele. And he said, well, what's your name? Chuck. Chuck Steele. And Charlie didn't want to get into the whole explanation of how that's not really my last name, but she called it, you know, and, and then the teenager behind the counter goes, that's the coolest name I've ever heard. <laughs> they just stopped, dead in his Chuck Steele. And so the name stuck, and there's this great picture of Charlie's office that everybody gave him when he retired of Man of Steel. And, and if, you know, if I hear the phrase Man of Steel, I'll think of Charlie. I won't think of Superman. Chuck Steele. Life's better when you have a great nickname. I don't know if we get to choose our nicknames, but 
If you ever get one that cool, congratulations. Your, your life will be richer for it. That's the first thing. The second thing I learned from Charlie is that you can be successful in business and still love Jesus. Charlie was successful in business. He worked hard. He, he had a, lot of, a number of different jobs, started, uh, spent some time in the military. The number of stories he would tell you about the military would make you think he was a career military person, but that was just a small part of life. And then he was in business, and he started a number of businesses. He worked in marketing. Uh, he oversaw and, and really began a very successful business in Northern California, which operating any kind of business in California is challenging. And, and they operated a successful one. And, and Charlie, as he would tell stories about this, you, you knew that he, he did that with integrity. He, he, he brought his love of Christ into that place. His, his love for Jesus and his desire to represent him informed how he worked. He, I remember him talking about working in a marketing role and, and being sort of asked to, to market things that weren't really true. And his refusal to do that. And I think that actually led him out of marketing in some ways. And, and yet he, he stood fast. And I think sometimes we think that if we're going to be successful in the marketplace, we've got to leave our faith behind. We've got to leave it sort of private or over there. At least that's what people out there would like us to believe. And, and yet you can be successful in the marketplace. You can make money. You can thrive in that world and yet still be a, follow, a faithful follower of Jesus. Many people aren't. But Charlie was, and it's possible. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing, is you'll stay young at heart if you're willing to try new things. Uh, Charlie um, didn't like the idea of being an old guy. He, he saw himself and very much was young and young at heart. And one of the reasons why he and Bonnie fit so well in a younger church like ours is because they were young at heart and, and are young at heart. And, and one of the things that that made it that way is, is Charlie's willingness to try new things. He didn't like the status quo. He didn't like staying uh, just same place. He always wanted to start new stuff. And so I knew that he would be really interested in helping us start this church. In fact, when I came up with the idea and the proposal to the elders of the church I was at and said, I, I want to start to recruit a few people, the first person I talked to about it was Charlie. And, uh, and I just knew. He, he, he had an entrepreneurial spirit. He loved to start new stuff. He loved adventure. He'd been part of a church plant before. And it was just like, I, I have a good feeling about it. I, I wanted to start with an easy win, right? I didn't want to get rejected right off the bat. And so I went to him, and, and he was, it was kind of one of those, like, let me pray about it. Okay, yeah, we're in. And I was like, do you want to talk to Bonnie about this first? <laughs> Uh, and, you know, because they had a lot of close friends that that meant they would be, you know, distancing themselves from to a degree. And, and, and so they did, and, but, but pretty quickly they were in it. And when we've gathered at the end of May uh, to begin to pray, uh, Charlie and Bonnie were there. He loved to start new stuff, start new businesses, try new things, learn new things. He was always found some new gadget, some new technology, some new thing that, that he was learning about. And I think that kept him fresh, and I think it kept him young. And, and I meet so many people who are, who are just kind of old and grumpy, and, and not always old people, like younger people that just are kind of old and grumpy. And it's like, you know you have a choice, right? Like, you don't have to grow up to be a curmudgeon. You can enjoy your life a little bit. You can learn some new things. And, and the energy and the life that Charlie and, and, and Bonnie had with their family is, is due to that reality that they love to try and do new things. Here's the fourth thing I learned. If things aren't the way they should be, 
You can complain about them, or you can find a way to make them better. There's a lot of things in life that aren't the way they should be, right? There's a lot of opportunities, and, and we take many of them. I think social media actually exists purely to allow us to vent and complain. It's the only reason it's there, probably. And we like to complain. We like to give voice to all the stuff that's broken. We like to be critics. But Charlie wasn't a critic, mostly. He was, a, he was someone who saw these problems and went, how can, I, how can I solve it? How can I make it better? How can I bring a solution? How can I bring an idea? And sometimes the ideas worked and sometimes they didn't. But he saw things and said, how can I fix it? How can I improve it? How can I work on it? So one of my favorite examples, you may feel like this is silly, but to me this embodies um, this idea, this principle in, in Charlie is there's a, there's a card game. Maybe you've played it. It's called Oh Shoot or something like that. And, uh, and, and Charlie liked to play that game, but he didn't really like the scoring system. He didn't, I don't remember exactly why, but it wasn't quite right. And so most people would just go, well, I don't like that game. Stupid game. He, he tried to fix it. And so he created his own game called Opashaw. And to my knowledge, I googled Opashaw. I couldn't find it. Like, it's really his game, right? And it's this whole, I mean, it's very elaborate scoring system. And it really was fair. It was a very excellent, fair <laughs> game. And, and he just, I mean, he, he would, if it came up, he'd, you know, he'd get real excited. And he'd get up in close to your face. And he'd tell you about the scoring system. And and it was just very fun to watch him be so excited about that. We would, he'd have the elders over and our families, and we would have these Opashaw tournaments, and Molly would usually win, and, and, uh, or Bonnie. And, and it was just a, a, a great thing of going, I see something that's wrong. Rather than gripe about it, I'm going to just make it better. We noticed that a number of weeks ago when we were visiting uh, Charlie when he was in bed, and and we saw this little box on the side of, it, of his bed. And we said, well, what is that? And it was, Charlie had figured a problem. He said, you know, it's, it's a problem when, in a bedroom, when you turn the lights on. Because it's just too bright and it's too in your face right away. And so he had developed this whole dimmer system in this little box uh, covered in duct tape, I think. And, you know, and, and he could dim all the lights right from his bed. And Matthew and I thought, that is so cool. I, you, if you gave me 1,500 years, I could never build that. <laughs> but, but, but it was that spirit about it. There's, there was a spirit of, I wonder if, and maybe I'll try, and rather than, than griping. And that's the kind of spirit that the people of God should have. The Scripture tells us in Philippians that we should do everything without grumbling or complaining. And that if we do that, that we'll shine like stars in a dark world. Charlie did that. Here's a fifth thing, a little more serious. Is there's no substitute for being a committed part of a local church. There's no substitute for being a committed part of a local church. And so let me just tell you what I see today as I sort of observe the Christian landscape. I see a lot of people who think that church is really about a buffet, I like this music here. I like that preacher here. I like that Bible study there. I like this class there. I like this program for my kids there. And I, and I go and I come wherever and, and as often and, and just whatever I want. I just see, you know, we're all Christians, and so it's just this big buffet. And, 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 and really what it is, it's the same idea. It's the attitude that I had when I was a new Christian. I, I heard people say, you should be in church. And I thought that what that meant was my 
rear end should be sitting somewhere on a Sunday where there was preaching. And it didn't matter where, and it didn't matter who. If it was a biblical message, that was good. But, but the idea of being part of the community of the church was not in my head. And, and that, that idea that I've just described in, in, in what my life was and what I see going out there, it's a totally unbiblical idea. The Scripture calls the church the body of Christ. And, and, and the body needs every part of itself. I mean, think about, if, if just one part of your body is off, think about how much it impacts you. You ever had a blister on your toe? And you go, this blister is this big, and it's ruining my life. Right? Or, or if you've had a canker sore. I mean, oh, it just can be excruciating. And, 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 and the whole body has to be healthy and work together, and every part of it matters. And, and Charlie's life, their family's life has been blessed by being committed to life in a local church, committed to a group of people. And so thinking about the people that, that have been with their family over this holiday and there as, they've, as Charlie passed, they were people outside of the family. They were people with whom they did life with in the context of a local church. And throughout this, it's been difficult and it's been challenging, but Bonnie's not ever been alone. She's had friends and she's had people in, from our church and, and from churches they've been part of in the past that are like family, that have loved and supported and will continue to do that. And there's just no substitute for that. The richness of life that comes through that kind of community, it's unparalleled. And, and so I ask you, do you have that? Are you a committed part of a local church? It doesn't have to be this one, but it should be somewhere. You know, I like to go here when he's preaching and there when he's preaching. and there. Listen, when your world starts crumbling down, when your diagnosis comes or when something happens to your kid, where are you going to go? That's your church. And that's where you should attend, that's where you should get involved, that's where you should serve, that's where you should give. Go there. It may not be perfect, you may not like everything about it, but that's your church. I'll tell you what's so sad, I've done funerals, and more than I would like to do, of people who I didn't know. But I knew a family member or a friend, and they needed a pastor to do a funeral. And so, hey, can you do it? Sure. I'm and I'm happy to help. I'm happy to have the opportunity to love that family and to preach the gospel. And that's, a, that's an honor. But I think about going, I can't imagine at my funeral that there's a guy up there talking who I've never met. There's people there. I don't even, everyone running this thing, I, don't, I, I never knew them. I mean, can you imagine that? Where are you going to go? And so I just think that's such a great lesson. There's no substitute for being a committed part of a local church. And so much of the blessing and richness of their family and in their life has come through commitment to a local church. All right, number six. Here's a sixth thing I've learned from Charlie is that God owns everything, so use what you have to bless others. 
That's a very biblical idea that God owns everything. The scripture says the cattle on a thousand hills are his. The gold is mine. The silver is mine. Uh, God owns everything. We're just stewards of it. And Charlie taught that and shared that and lived that. God owns everything. So what we have is to be a blessing for others. And I can think of no better example of that than the way that they've opened their home to me and my family and so many over the years. Let me just kind of tell you the story. When we uh, decided to plant the church in 2008, we had a home in kind of northwest Gilbert and wanted to move out to this gateway Queen Creek area. And so that was kind of right as the market was really like kind of starting to to dive, dip in in summer of, of 2008. And one of our first prayers at that prayer meeting was, Lord, help Luke and Molly to sell their house. And seven days later, we sold the house. I mean, it was just, which at that point, that wasn't happening, and that was fast. And, and then it was like, okay, now we're homeless. Because um, every house out here that we wanted to buy was, was bank-owned or in the process of short sale. Or, I mean, it was one of those things where you'd make an offer and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. It's still a little bit like that, not as bad. Um, and so it was like, what are we going to do? And, and we had Abby was two. Molly was pregnant with Caitlin. And it's summer. It's like, what are we going to do? And they said, well, you can live with us. God had blessed them with a, a beautiful, nice home with a basement. Right? Basements are rare. And so we got to live in the basement. And, and, and we weren't the only people that had done that. The, the, the Brazeltons had done that. And the Heislers, some of you know the Heislers, they'd done that. And a number of missionary families through the years had lived there. The Burbombs who are here, they, they lived there for a while. And, and, and it was just this sense of going, God's blessed us with this. We'll let you use it. It wasn't, well, we got to keep it all perfect. Can't let any scratches, can't let anything get dirty. Right, listen, if you cared about it being perfect, you wouldn't let the Brazeltons live there. <laughs> or, or any of these, I mean, all of us. You, you wouldn't let these just, not, not just them, it's fun to pick on them. But you wouldn't let any of these people, you wouldn't do that. And I'm sure there were times when, when it was driving them nuts. I know it. But they lived on this principle, we're, we're not our own. This isn't our house. This is God's house. So we'll give it freely. We'll open it freely. It's a great lesson. Number seven. This will apply to some of you more than others. But I, this is a great lesson from Charlie's life, especially for you young men. Number seven, find a great woman and love her faithfully. Bonnie is a great woman. And uh, the story of how they met is a really kind of fun story where Charlie picked her out of a yearbook and said, I want to date her and, and the things that led to that. And, um, but as, as much as I love Charlie, and I really love him a lot, she, she's the better half. <laughs> and, and to me, the mark of a brilliant man is marrying a great woman. And he did that. And so, gentlemen, if you're single, look for a great woman. And then love her faithfully. And you won't love her perfectly, but you'll love her faithfully. And the relationship that Charlie and Bonnie uh, have had and have demonstrated to so many of us has made a big difference. Uh, Number eight. This was a great lesson I learned from Charlie one time. We were sitting at a village inn with a group of our elders and, and uh, other leaders, and, 
and we were all sort of talking about the challenge of having a lot of young kids, and our church is just filled with young kids, and they're everywhere, and some of you, uh, especially moms, you just feel like, I can barely come up for air, like what I would give for eight hours of uninterrupted sleep, I just can't even tell you. I mean, you just, you know that world, right? And we were all kind of in that world, and, and Charlie told us this uh, at that breakfast. He said, guys, this is number eight. Guys, remember that your kids will be your friends as adults in a deeper and more significant way than they will be as kids in your house. So guys, remember, at some point, they're going to get out of the diapers. And at some point, they're going to get out of the braces. And at some point, they're going to get out of your house. And they'll come back for a little bit. And then then they'll go again. But at at some point, they're going to be out there. And at that point... Your goal, your hope is that they're your friends. And if you try to be their friends now, they probably won't be your friends later. So keep loving them, keep correcting them, keep disciplining them. But remember, this is about the long term. And I know that the Jolly family had ups and downs and various things along the way, but but being there with them yesterday and seeing the way that the Kids are friends, and they love their dad. There was a genuine relationship. That's what I want. So if you're in that place where you're feeling like you're drowning under this, and how can I have a longer perspective? Remember, there's a long-term goal, and it's worth it. It was a great lesson I learned from Charlie. Number nine, life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid. I believe this is a John Wayne quote, um, but this was always on his office door. So when he had the office doors shut, it would be, you know, that's what he would look at. When you would be in his home office and you would leave, this, you know, thing would greet you. Life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid. And I just thought that was such a great Charlie-type thing to have up there. Um, Because really, so much of how Charlie thought was, what's the smart thing to do here? What's the wise thing to do here? A lot of times it was what's the right thing to do, but, but oftentimes it was just what's the smart thing to do. And the smart thing to do and the, the right thing to do are oftentimes the same thing. And if we, if we make decisions that are foolish because of our pride or because we're trying to impress somebody or because of whatever else, life is even tougher. Some of you are experiencing the fruit of stupid choices. Like you spent money you didn't have. And you kept that conversation going with the person that you just know that you probably didn't need to do. And we could go on. We could all share stories of that. But life is tough enough. Don't be stupid. I just love that line. I love that whole idea of what's the right thing to do here? I want to try to do that. Number 10. Charlie taught me to calm down and trust God that everything would be okay. This was really important for me personally when I was starting the church and we were starting this as a team. And, and there would be these times where, especially as a young man, I would, I would feel like it's life and death and, and everything's a hill to die on and everything's so important. If we don't, and I do believe that all of life's all for Jesus. I also believe that there's wisdom in what we emphasize and what we get all riled up about and what we fight for and die for. And I didn't have a lot of that wisdom. And so I would oftentimes call Charlie, all worked, How, how's this going to work or how are we going to do that? And, and his answer, more or less, not in these words, was calm down. 
Just relax. Trust God. You'll be okay. Like, it'll be all right. And, and some of it, he was kind of just an optimistic person. But a lot of it was, I think one of his spiritual gifts was faith. He believed that God would show up. He believed that God was who he said he was. He believed that God was faithful to his word. And it was just a really good thing to go, take a deep breath. Trust the Lord. It'll be okay. All right, here are the last two I have. Number 11, longing for heaven really does make you more valuable on earth and more courageous in the face of death. As long as I've known Charlie, even before he was sick, he loved thinking about, learning about, reading about, dwelling on heaven. He's always been intrigued by it. He was always reading and rereading Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. And it's a, it's a big, excellent book on heaven. If you've ever had questions about what does the Bible say about heaven, you should get that book. We have it out on the book rack. You can pick it up today after the service. It's an excellent book. And he was always reading that and, and reading other things that would sort of think about and help you dwell on heaven. He was always intrigued by that. And, and I'll tell you, I think that one of the reasons that he was so effective in loving people and in, and in caring for people and in making wise decisions, I think a lot of that was knowing I'm not living for this world, I'm living for heaven. And I want to store up treasure there. This isn't about here and now. It's not about what I can achieve and all the acclaim I can get now. It's about then. And so he made, I think, an incredible difference in this world because of it. But, but not only that, not only does focusing on heaven make you more valuable on earth, it makes you more courageous. <laughs> in the face of death. Charlie was courageous in the face of death. He was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of difficulty. But he looked forward to heaven. It, it actually kind of bothered some of us how excited he was to go there. We were like, well, we'd like you to like, fight a little bit longer and, and hang in there a little bit more, and we, we don't, we're not ready to let you go. <laughs> But, but he was courageous in that. I don't know about you. For me, I'm not really afraid of death. But I am afraid of dying. The process. So I thank the Lord that rather than this going for another year or year and a half, as Charlie thought it might, it, that it didn't. And yet... I think if it had, his, his focus on heaven, his love for the Lord, his courage in the midst of that would have been there. What will you rely on when you're in that moment? What will give you courage when your body is literally wasting away? When you can't sleep or eat Use the restroom because you're in so much pain. What will you depend on? I've been struck by this because I think, if I were to be honest, I sometimes think about heaven a little bit too make-believe. But it, it, it's really real. He's really there. His pain is gone. His tears are gone. He is, he's free in the joy of Christ. I, I was tucking the girls in last night and asking them, what do you think Mr. Jolly's doing right now? 
And Abby said, he's probably getting a tour of heaven. I said, or maybe eating berry pie. Oh, he was craving that in the last time. But, but your hope in heaven makes a real difference. And here's the last thing, number 12. I learned from Charlie to never lose the wonder of salvation. Salvation is an amazing thing. What we believe about what the Bible teaches about salvation or being made right with God is that all people are sinners. All people have have disobeyed God with their actions as well as just an attitude that says, God, I don't really want much to do with you. We've disobeyed. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, being rich in mercy, though we were dead in our sins, made us alive in Christ Jesus, by grace we've been saved through faith. That's the message of salvation, right? There aren't good people and bad people. There's bad people in Jesus. That's what we believe about this. And Charlie believed that. And Charlie, interestingly... He came to faith as a young boy, never had huge times of rebellion, never had these kind of big kind of moments you hear about. On the surface, he was a good guy, but, but he didn't believe that. He believed that he needed grace, and he never lost the wonder of it. Let me tell you a story. We were a few months ago gathered with the elders, and we were there um, talking with Charlie and praying for him, Bonnie and Asking, you know, what have you been doing with your time? And, how you, you know, and he said, I've been, I've been reading. I said, what are you reading? And, and he said, I've been reading the Bible. And he, he liked to read other stuff, so we kind of expected him to say something else. And, and he said, I've been reading the Bible. I've been reading, you know, Jeremiah and Ezra and, you know, the crispy parts of your Bible. That's what he was reading. And um, I think he was on his Kindle or something. I'm not sure. And... Uh, we were kind of asking him about that, and, and Jeffrey, one of our elders, said, what is it that, you know, are there any themes that kind of keep standing out to you as you read this? And Charlie, for the first time in that conversation, got emotional, and he said, I read this, and I just keep thinking, why me? Why me? Why would God save me. See, that's not what you thought he meant, was it? See, when I first heard it and he said, why me? I thought he was saying, God, why are you letting me go through this? Why are you letting me have this suffering? Why are you letting me have this pain? And when you're going through that, that feels like a completely appropriate sort of question. God, why me? But that wasn't his question. It wasn't a why me? God, how could you? It was, God, how could you save me? How could you show this kind of grace and mercy to me? And he's getting that from Ezra and Jeremiah. I mean, he's saying every word is coming alive to the majesty and the grace of God. Why would he save me? That's why we can rejoice today. See, I don't rejoice today because Charlie was a great guy. I rejoice because he was forgiven. And he knew Christ and and never got over the grace that he'd been shown. That's why I rejoice. One of the things that drives me nuts about funerals and the whole process of that stuff is how all of a sudden the person that's dead was perfect. Right? Everyone, 
He never said a bad thing about anybody. Really. I don't believe that. That's a lie. Like, I know you loved him. I'm sure he was kind to most people, but he, didn't, he wasn't perfect, right? And, and, and Charlie wasn't perfect. I mean, there were times when he didn't listen well, and there were times when he got impatient, and there were, I mean, I'm not here to confess his sins. It doesn't, you know, that's not what this is about, but, but he wasn't perfect. We're, we're, not, we're not celebrating the perfection of a man. Oh, wait, yes, we are. But it isn't Charlie. It's Jesus. And Jesus, the perfect one, is the one who saved Charlie. Gave him a hope for heaven. Gave him a love for people. Gave him the truth that everything he owned didn't belong to him. It belonged to God. Gave him a desire to be creative and use his gifts and solve problems and invest in people. And that's what he did. And we're better for it. Do you know Jesus like that? Have you experienced that, that flood of God's overwhelming grace? Do, do you know if you were to die, what would happen to you? Where you would go? Do you know that? If you're not sure about that, you can trust in Jesus now. You can put your hope in him now. You can experience the flood of his grace now. You do that by praying to him, by confessing your sin and asking him to take over your life. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you if that happens to you, if God is drawing you in that way. This isn't about making a big deal of Charlie. It's about making a big deal of God's grace through Charlie to us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you for my friend, Charlie. Lord, I'd love to know what he's doing right now. I'm sure he's laughing about something. And Lord, I, uh, I'm so glad that he's with you. And yet my heart hurts and our hearts hurt that we're not going to see him for a long, long time. And so, God, we pray for comfort. We pray for grace. God, I pray that we would have wisdom to consider a man whose life was devoted to you and to see what we can learn from it. Thank you for our friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to take some time now and uh, respond in a number of ways. Uh, first way is through taking communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've put your, your faith and trust in, in the one man who did live a perfect life and, and died the death that we deserved in our place so that we could be brought to the Father. If you've put your faith and trust in him, then, then this communion time is open to you. We have elements here under the screens in the front as well as in the back uh, middle there by the pole. Uh, you're welcome to help yourself to the communion elements and, and take communion when your heart is ready, either on your own or you can gather with friends or family. Um, that moment, this moment's for, for that. Another way we respond is through singing and um, 
music is a great gift of God. It's a way that, that we can respond with, with our emotions and, and our, uh, our minds and, and affirm and remember the things that, that we hold dear. And so we're going to do that here in a moment and invite you to, to join with us and sing. Um, you can also uh, respond through giving uh, of financial gifts. We've got those two mailboxes in the back we've mentioned. That's a way to, to respond to the Lord.